Join Raise the Line in celebrating the launch of the new Osmosis Clinical Sciences Library. Developed for first-time clinical learners, it includes hundreds of visually engaging videos paired with decision-making trees aligned to U.S. core clerkship curriculum guidelines to help students think clinically from day one to patient one. Start your free trial today at osms.it rtl. I'm Dr. Anushka Gaglani. And I'm Dr. Abhishek Nagaraj, welcoming you to Raise the Line with Osmosis from Elsevier in collaboration with Aerodental, an ongoing exploration about how to improve health and healthcare. Group dental practices are common now, but that was not the case before 1997 when solo practitioners dominated the space. We're going to talk today to a leading pioneer in changing that paradigm, Dr. Rick Workman, the founder and executive chairman of Heartland Dental, the largest dental support organization in the U.S., with over 1,700 locations nationwide. We're also joined today by the company's CEO, Mr. Pat Bauer, who has been an integral member of the Heartland Dental team since its infancy. We're looking forward to exploring the fascinating evolution of dental practices in the U.S. and what lies ahead for the field today with you both. Thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you. Happy to be here. I'd like to start with learning more about you, Dr. Workman, and what first got you interested in dentistry. In 30 seconds or less, you know, <laughs> most people knew that I, I'd grown up on a farm, very small town, three-room grade school. My mother's my teacher, first and second grade, and she said, Rick, you you can't write at all. You ought to be a doctor. Uh, and I tell people I was 25 years old before I realized all mothers told their children they're very smart and could do whatever they, they want to do. And so when I was in uh, early college, I was transferring and I, and the physician who literally delivered me and, and again, in a small town said, what are you going to do uh, when you grow up? I said, well, I, I don't know. Uh, and he goes, I told him I might be a chiropractor. Oh, you know, you should be a dentist. I mean, those guys got it made. And uh, <laughs> I went on a trip a week later and happened to have a lovely young couple who were, was a dentist and his wife and they were super nice. And, and I thought, wow, that'd be nice, you know, be a dentist. And they, they didn't have to have their parents pay for the trip. And, and so I thought I'll give it a shot. And here we are. <laughs> yeah. So Effingham, right. That's where you grew up. Near Effingham. Yeah. Now, Effingham's a big town is 12,000 people. I, I grew up in a little bitty town. Really? Okay. My high school still exists. It has the last I heard 60 kids in the high school. Wow. So thank you for sharing that. What's the backstory of Heartland Dental? What prompted you to start down the path of building this new model of practicing dentistry? Certainly never set out to do that. My goal was to end up not working on the family farm uh, and not having to move home after dental school. And I was able to find a place to rent an, an old dental office in Effingham, Illinois, when I graduated in dental school in 1980. Um, started practice. And then a year later, I again more work is not a problem. It keeps me from working on the farm. And so I just opened up a second practice. And then the following year, I hired a doctor who was in the class behind me in dental school, opened up a third office in a town of 1,700 people. Um, and it was really more of just like, I think I'll try to have a group practice. Maybe this will work. Honestly, you know, 80 hours a week and about 12 years later was the first time I thought, you know, this, this might actually be a business model. And at that time, you know, we didn't really have the internet. Um, and there weren't folks that I knew that were doing this at all. And we, we thought, well, let's go. And, and my first partner, uh, Dr. Bill Bloink, you know, became a partner in 1992 and he's still with us today. 
and uh, we've had a, we've had an interesting uh, journey along the way, no question. Quick follow-up question for that, Dr. Workman. Um, so 12 years later, how many practices were you at? Probably, honestly, around 12 to 14. When we ultimately sold five years after that, so from 92 to 97, we had, I think it's 27, 26 or seven practices. We sold 21. Five were in a new corporation called Heartland Dental Care. And so that's how we ultimately came to that name. It was like our sixth or seventh small corporation. Everything else sold and we kept that one. And we go, well, that's just what we'll call ourselves from now on. That gives me goosebumps that that you're saying you, you were at 12 practices and then went to 20 and then considering where you guys are today. It's, it just gave me goosebumps. It's amazing. You know, I'd want to say this. I, I think that it's available for anybody to do I'd encourage everyone who wants to do it to do it the right way. The right way to me, and and Pat will attest to this too, has always been in our minds, we consider the doctors our customers. We we have to create value for them, respect for them, respect for dentistry. We have to understand they have to have the clinical autonomy. And our job is to do everything we can to make their lives better and easier and always honor the patient. And as an older guy now, I sometimes see things that they they want to slap things together. Uh, you know, we'll buy them for 5X, we'll sell them for 12X. And I think things like that are not going to help us all in the long run. That's, you know, my mind doesn't honor dentistry. It's just a pure business ploy. And I think you can do the right thing for the right reason. I think you can create value for everybody in the system. Um, there's a lot of ways to improve, I think, a typical dental practice and improve dental care and the delivery and service for everybody. And I just encourage everybody to focus on that. And eventually, if you do that well, uh, you know, God bless America, but there'll be value to be created and, and you can be proud of that. We couldn't agree more. We have the, the same mindset. So that's amazing. Those are words of wisdom. Thank you so much. Um, Pat, we'd also like to get to know you a little bit more. Um, if you can share with us a little bit about your background and the career path that eventually led you to your work with Heartland Dental. I was looking for a job about 36 years ago. <laughs> a dental group wanted somebody that had no dental experience. And they said, we want somebody who's just going to help people because the two dentists weren't very good at it. And I had background with people and operations. And so I started and learned everything I could, but I met to Dr. Workman's point there. He, I met him in 1995 at a conference when I was with Metro Dental Care back in the day. And we had very similar perspectives on doctors, how to help them be successful, how to lead the business from a doctor perspective and how we ran the business. And so in 1997, um, he was selling his 21 offices or whatever and was going to start again and his his management team said hey we need somebody like pat bauer because i had met him in 1995 seen him in contact and then rick called me and said hey i'm looking for somebody like you and metro was involved with delta dental owned practices back then and so it just kind of started changing the culture and I'm like well I, this guy has a vision <laughs> and so so in 1997 we joined i think they had seven or eight practices at the time and in july of 97 and then uh, we moved from there. It wasn't easy. It wasn't like, oh, man, this is just a straight line. <laughs> um, but the vision of how to keep our doctors satisfied, but also um, what do they need to be successful? And our whole goal is just to help doctors become successful because, you know, there's, I mean, from a clinical perspective, how do you help a doctor? It's all about their autonomy 
how do you help them understand what they're doing and why they're doing it and then giving them metrics to say okay this is what i deliver this is what i believe this is what i actually do and that combination plus the alignment so we have aligned methodology with our comp model and so the whole thing about heartland and if you look at the success it's about alignment it's alignment with our doctors alignment with the owners alignment with all the teams so it's all about alignment and that led us to be able to continue to grow because more more people become successful and when we're around successful people it breeds success with those doctors that have autonomy to have the kind of practice that they want so pretty cool that is super awesome would you say pat uh, we are an EOS company. I'm sure you've heard of EOS. It's gained a lot of traction. It's based on the traction series. There's a visionary, there's an integrator, the right person, right seat. You define the data, the scorecard, the metrics, all that good stuff. Would you say if Dr. Workman was the visionary, you were the integrator who really thought about where the right people are going to go, which seats they're going to sit in, the who, not how, were you instrumental in doing that? Yeah, we're yin and yang. <laughs> He's... The visionary, I'm not. He's like that small, less than 1% of people that are, are true entrepreneurs that understands ideas and how to make money. And then I can help them implement it with the right people, keep growing, growing my leadership. Because in the end, it's all about our leadership, being able to be successful. But for without his vision, without his ability to see where it's going, how it's going to go, I can help implement and put things in, in place. And so together, we're a great team because he's so unique and so good at that. Um, but entrepreneurs' strength isn't putting organization structures together. That's just not what they do. And so getting that combination has been super powerful. Way back when, we read the book, The Great Game of Business by Jack Stack. And so we were both aligned on sharing P&Ls with everyone in the whole company. So everyone knew how, the, how we were doing, not only in the office, but as a company. And so that alignment of, here's the metrics. So doctor, this is what you believe. Well, here... Again, that that benchmarking with each other from patient satisfaction to what do you believe you should do when you do a filling, a crown, a, you know, what do you do? All of that was already in his mind. Here's how we help doctors make the right decisions for their customers and their patients. And that combination is amazing. It's uh, facts, not feelings, right? Yes, because everybody has feelings. You ask a doctor, what's your case acceptance on crowns? And they're all saying, oh, 80, 85%. No, really, what's your number? And they don't know. And it's not 80 or 85%. No, <laughs> it's not even close. And you're diagnosing 10 crowns a month, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or doing all trophies. <laughs> totally. Um, Dr. Workman, I, um, I heard you on a recent podcast. You said that if doctors want to be measured, because if, if, you, if we can't be measured, there's no way we know how to improve ourselves, right? Speaking of that, what were some of the early innovations that you brought into the dental practice? You were, you were obviously years ahead of thinking about some of these things. What were some of those early innovations you brought? I think I would attribute the fact that we were one of the first DSOs started by a dentist. And I, I feel like I had an intimate understanding of the pain and the pleasure, I guess, of, of being in a dental practice. I understood the challenges that a dentist faced and the opportunities, all the complexities. And, and we taught our core people that they grew up in that. And so in some ways, some of the early innovations were simply, wow, I've seen that, I've experienced that, and I can tell you how we now do that. It's not how maybe we were taught in school or the attitudinal approach by the academians that we met 
that's a certain approach and it got us where we got we as an industry got let's say into the mid or late 80s but we found eventually later that it would maybe there's a better way to handle that or an innovation you know my first article for dental economics was was about benchmarking and i know that that discussion you know ignorance is curable stupid for life there's a certain level of ignorance about measuring for quality assurance uh measuring for your own personal accountability when i was measuring myself look I, this is what i do what does it really look like in the outcome and then what how is what i do similar or different from other doctors so we measure those benchmarks and nobody knows the answer i don't know the answer but i think we as an industry ought to study that because cancer oncology you know the answer of the survivability rate based on the type of cancer based on the stages diagnosed based on the treatment you know that and if you're a cardiologist you know probably what the ratio of stents to open heart surgeries is you know the conditions and and when you do one or the other well you know we can argue that dentistry is maybe a slightly less exact science but we ought to have an idea we ought to have a discussion about it when i started I hardly knew any general dentist who ever probed. I mean, ever probed. I taught the late in the 80s about that. My point is this. Can we have a discussion about whether or not your patients are getting proper diagnosis for periodontal disease or not? What percentage of your adults are getting treated for periodontal disease? I'm not here to tell you what it is. People much smarter than me would know that. But the answer is probably not 1% or 2%. And it's probably not 90%. So let's talk about the process and make sure we do the process. And then we let's study can do, act, and come up with a system that has the best chance of a repeatable uh, quality assurance program. That's an innovation I think we're kind of proud of that we we think we've tried to help a little bit. Yeah, that's that's a really great point to kind of have standardization. So, you know, if you have a different doctor going into the same practice, it's, it's the same experience for all patients. I love that. And I'm going to use that quote. I love that quote. Ignorance is curable. Yeah, stupid is for life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or my, my other favorite one that I definitely lifted from a former doctor friend is dogs bark at things they don't understand. But we as professionals and we as an industry, I think, owe it to ourselves to, to simply investigate that. You know, we, we ought to be able to talk about it. And it doesn't mean, you know, it's not a quota. You know, that's that's what the haters would say. But it's like, let's talk about it. What percentage of your adults do have periodontal disease? And what percentage are you diagnosing treatment? We, one of the past good examples is, well, what doctors don't believe? Do you, let me ask you, doctors, do you believe that a new patient should have an examination? Of course. <laughs> okay, well, guess what? Measure it. And I'm here to tell you that 100% of your patients do not get an exam. You say they deserve it. You definitely want to do it, but they don't. And the question is, is it 96%, 92% or 88%? And there's an area of opportunity there to become better by simply studying what percentage of our new patients got an exam. Nobody thinks they shouldn't get an exam and yet they don't get it. And that'll be a big discovery. Change your life when you figure that out. Yeah, great points. Thank you. Um, so Dr. Workman, did you ever imagine your business would grow as much as it did? And why do you think it took off? The answer is no. Um, one thing that we always strive to do, and I don't know if it was the good things or bad things about just the way I was raised, but we can try to get better next year. We can constantly try to get better. If we get better, maybe we get a little bit bigger and a little bit better. 
and you know, we can have a, a discussion about whether we're better, but we're definitely bigger. I think we're, I think we're both. We've learned so much in the past year that we're so much better. And so over time, people joined us. They chose to want to join us. Many people chose to stay with us and we're not perfect, but we say our batting average is pretty good. And so if you treat people right, try and do the right things for the right reasons. Again, I'm not suggesting we're perfect, but I'm saying most people who've been around us for a long period of time know that our heart's in the right place and we're trying to do the right thing. We provide an opportunity for careers for a lots of people, doctors, hygienists, business assistants, assistants, administrators, and so forth, that if you take care of your people, uh, the world will be a path to your door, so to speak. And we're trying to do that and been doing it for a long time. Quick follow-up question there, Dr. Workman. Um, I heard, I think it was Dr. Samson Liu, who you trained with you uh, for the longest time. It was in 99 where in Effingham where you were training a bunch of dentists and he wasn't really paying attention. You called him into the room and you said, hey, doc, like this is my vision. And you told him, we're going to get to a thousand practices in 10 years. This is amazingly visionary stuff. Were you raised to be a visionary or did that, did you sort of expound on that over time? Yeah, um, it is a true story. Uh, when he was there for a new employee orientation, Samson, you know, is an extraordinarily highly skilled person, very unique skills. Um, when people wonder how certain things get done, sometimes we all as humans have to realize there are geniuses out there. There are geniuses who can do things that we couldn't do. And so if you're a dentist and it takes you an hour to do a crown prep and somebody tries to tell you you can do it in five or seven minutes, too many dentists in the world think, oh, that's terrible. It's just, gosh, that's inhumane to do that. And, and then you watch people do it and you're going, well, why would it ever take longer than that? That looks really nice. And and my point is, so there, there's this stuff to do. No, I don't, I don't remember exactly that I said we we're going to go to a thousand practice, but in one of those rare moments, I, I said, really, what do you want to do? Where do you want to be? And he said it did focus him. It focused him to make a commitment to be really good. And, and he has gone on and done that. And I think in the nicest way, I, I'd like for all dentists to end up with the ability to, to say, you know what? I am making a commitment to be the very best person that I can, the very best dentist that I can. We can be average and have a great life as a dentist, but there are many who go, you know what? But if I would apply some intention to what I do, I can accomplish great things. And I encourage all dentists to try to do that. Thank you, Dr. Workman. Uh, Pat, can you help us understand a little more about the size and scope of Heartland Dental and what place it generally occupies in the marketplace? Well, I think we're 1,700 plus practices in 38 states in D.C. And uh, what do we do? 3.2 billion in revenue this year. Again, that's not the important number. The important is that our doctors are really happy. Um, and if you look at this, the, in the whole perspective, what are we, 2%, right? Maybe a little over 2% of the market. Yeah. And so when you think about that, we're pretty small in the big picture of of dentistry, but our size gives us power, gives us leverage. And that's the difference. The bigger we get, as long as our culture stays, then we are unstoppable. So what Dr. Gordon was just talking about there was all of that planning. We were really good at planning. I mean, so we're, we are really good at strategy, trying to figure out where we're going next, 
what's happening in the external environment, where are we going, where's the world going. And so we just keep on getting better at it and understanding here's our flywheels that we have to get going. We cannot ever slow them down from selecting the right patients for our doctors to getting the right providers, hygienists, doctors, growing our footprint, um, operational excellence. How do you make sure all of those things are part of it? And then getting leverage from our support office, but being world-class at it. And again, are we perfect? No, um, by any stretch of the imagination, we're always getting better. But understanding where the future is going is the difference. But always keeping our culture with our doctors leading their practices. That's a big difference. There's a big difference between some BSOs and others. And that's a major point that our doctors are in charge of their practices. We're there to support them. That doesn't mean they're perfect at it. doesn't mean that they're great at leadership. So how do we help them? And so the significance is Heartland's leading the pack. And our vision is to be the leader in dentistry so that we understand where the world is going. And you know it's changing drastically. We're, we're going to implement AI across all of our offices this year. Well, that's a massive transformation for our doctors to understand it. They'll be better clinician for their patients and their communities if we implement this correctly. Now, that didn't mean that we don't just shove it down their throat. They have to embrace it because they're the doctor. But we've been testing it for how many years, right? Three or four? <laughs> Two or three or four. I, I Somebody told me five years and I go, oh my God, it's, you know, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it's a process. We finally got our doctors to say, yeah, this is the one. These, were, you know, We had two that were the, the best ones. And then who do we negotiate best with? And then we give that to our doctors and say, okay, it's been vetted by doctors. So how do we then help them get that? So those are the kind of things when you see that the, the impact we can have in dentistry long-term is just massive. And so the bigger we get, the better we get, the more power we get, the more supplies our doctors get the best. I mean, our, our supplies are our best products at the best prices, I promise you, in the world. Um, but that's that's the power that we have. And we, we have to, in our mind, judiciously use that. We we have to work with our vendors and suppliers, create value for them. We think we do. We're not perfect. Uh, some people who, who maybe their product isn't get used as much, don't like us as much, but they do know that we run a process. We give everybody a chance to, to pitch their products. We have doctors testing products and equipment all the time. And it's the doctors who make the decisions about which products uh, are going to be in our practices. I love that. True economies of scale, honestly. Mm-hmm. How does the corporate practice model benefit patients and patient outcomes? And a follow-up to that, how does it benefit providers? It's really just group practice. Uh, so people call it corporate, but we are one group practice. We affiliate with a, with a, a group practice that had 22 separate groups. And it was chaos. Um, we are one. Yeah, we have regional differences and regional things, but we are one group practice, and we have over about 1,100 doctor partners that own $250,000 in stock that they paid for with their own money in Heartland Health. That's a true partnership model. So people say, oh, it's corporate. Well, we have to have structure, but it's a group practice started by a doctor, four doctors, and so it's not really corporate. It's really about helping the communities. We're a collection of hometown dental practices in many communities, helping their communities have the best dental care they can have. And so you, they call it that because they don't know what else to say. But I've been doing the same thing for 36 years. It's literally helping doctors when I was four practices to now. And I would say, 
I'm, I'm happy for solo practices to be happy and successful. I'm happy for general dentists or dentists of all specialties to be happy and successful. My life's work has demonstrated that not all dentists are happy, nor are they successful. And sometimes it just takes a little bit of help and support and guidance to make a big difference in their outcomes. If you are going to build quality assurance, a repeatable standard of care, the last thing in the world you'd do is have it all be individuals in a silo doing their own thing. That's the last thing you'd do for quality assurance. Now, I admit the freedom and flexibility, and I love freedom and flexibility from my, from my personality type, but freedom and flexibility is wonderful in a solo world. Quality assurance, systems, repeatability, and accountability are not the hallmarks of an individual. So what we can do is we can help people. And by helping them, and I know people sometimes criticize me this, but sometimes we help them by having a 1-800-hotline so that if their words are slurring, if their hands are shaking, if they're doing something that's inappropriate, that they can be reported and we can help them. I heard years ago that in, in Kentucky, one out of every seven dentists was practicing in an impaired physician plan. One out of seven in the entire state of Kentucky. That's what I was told. Um, and so sometimes we as humans need help and we can and we can do that. Sometimes knowing that somebody's going to audit your charts will increase your accuracy of billing. Um, the oral surgeon in Oklahoma, it's been eight years ago, who reused IV needles to save money. Uh, his team didn't turn him in because they knew they'd lose his license and they'd lose their job. So they were complicit with that. I don't see how that's possible to happen in a DSO-supported practice. They'll just get a new dentist. They'll help that dentist with whatever problems they've got. But for the patients, they'll be better off. And so there's a lot of discussion. I think we entitled have this discussion, but it's, it is a discussion that needs to happen because it's the real thing in the real world. Um, and sometimes it's not tidy. That's the, the basic thought and state of mind. When people have that, oh, we're just trying to tell people what to do, well, then actually the consequence, you believe that no matter what I do, the consequences you think we're trying to tell somebody to do. But if you really believe all we're trying to do is help a doctor make the right decisions for themselves and their patients, well, then it changes everything because you don't have, we don't have a quality assurance program where we're looking over people. We have a quality assurance that we're trying to help the doctor make the best decisions. And that's a different base of thought and state of mind. And so, but if you have the base of thought that, oh, we're just trying to tell them, well, I can't win. No matter what I do, you're thinking it's corporate and we're trying to tell them what to do. No, no, no. The doctor still makes the right decision. If they have the right information. Yeah. If they challenge in their thinking to be the best that they can be. And that's just a different way of thinking. Well, thank you for that distinction between corporate and group dentistry, first of all. I think uh, we definitely agree with that as well. So thank you so much, Dr. Workman and Pat Bauer, for being with us today. I'm Dr. Anushka Gaglani. And I'm Dr. Abhishek Nagaraj. Thanks for checking out today's show. Remember to do your part to raise the line and strengthen the healthcare system. We're all in this together. It was a pleasure having you both. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you, guys. It was an honor to be here. like this podcast, please share it on your social channels. 
You can also subscribe to the series and check out all of our episodes at osmosis.org slash raise the line podcast.